So we have two scripture readings this morning. The first is from Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 7, through chapter 12, verse 8. That is the sermon text. And the second passage is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. Please stand. Ecclesiastes 11, beginning at verse 7. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know... That for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, And the clouds return after the rain in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. And now turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, Persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. 
For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Amen. Please be seated. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, how could we improve upon the words that we have just read, and especially, Father, this, this reminder of Paul that we look not to the things that are seen. We look to the things that are unseen. The things that are seen are all passing away. The things that are unseen are eternal. So, Father, we pray that you'd help us have our eyes upon eternity, especially as we understand our life in this world. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If I say the name David Avery, perhaps somebody here would recognize the name David Avery. Uh, He was the inventor of bulletproof coffee. And I have a relative who was a very big fan of that coffee. I have no idea if it's any good or not. But anyway, uh, what you may not know about him is he's into uh, biohacking. Biohacking is where you try to take uh, contemporary technologies and use them in the quest for long life to extend one's life. I'm guessing that there are some people here who take supplements for your health, uh, but I dare say not as many as he takes. He takes over 100 supplements every single day, which is that's pretty hardcore, but it doesn't stop there. He has stem cells injected into the joints of his body. He bathes in infrared light. He also sits in an atmospheric cell trainer. And so hearing these things, you would not be surprised that he wrote a book entitled Superhuman, The Bulletproof Plan to Age Backward and Maybe Even Live Forever. Now, judging from what we just read from Ecclesiastes, you can tell that the book of Ecclesiastes has a slightly different perspective uh, on life and, and how long it lasts and all that. And this is a helpful passage. He's actually returning to themes that we've already uncovered in this book. It's been a long time since we've been in Ecclesiastes and touched upon these themes. But my concern as we read to this passage is is for the young. This is actually a word to the young. It's about the old, but it's to the young. And how do you see your life right now as you are young? And if you're asking me to define what is young... It's everybody in their prime, like me, and down. (laughs) So that obviously is not true. So you know who you are if you're young. (laughs) You know who you are if you're old. uh, Anyway, so you see the outline of our passage, but he starts on a theme we've seen before. Life is good. It's good. It's filled with all kinds of delights and good things. But he uses uh, the imagery of light. Light. Light is sweet. It's pleasant. For the eyes. And light and life go hand in hand in scripture. Think of the beginning of the gospel of John. When it talks about the word became flesh. And it says in him was life. And that life was the light of men. It showed the way. It illumined meaning and purpose. And as we think of the sun. As he introduces the sun here. Which is an important metaphor in scripture. 
And we can think of it graphically here that it sustains life. It's a sun that illumines the world that we see around us, and it helps us to see it better. It makes things more clear. We welcome the light of dawn. It's, it's a sentimental thing for us, not just to see the sunset, but to see the light of dawn as the light slowly unveils all the hiding places of the night. It opens up our world. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. And there are songs that talk about this. You'd be disappointed if I didn't mention at least one song. And so, children, when I recite the first lines of this Beatles song, uh, Here Comes the Sun, when you get home, your, your parents will tell you the very next line, which I'm not going to repeat from the pulpit. It's not wrong. It's just silly. And I say it's all right. But... Uh, <laughs> and there was a, son, a song in the 80s from Electric Light Orchestra, Mr. Blue Sky. Now, what's true, true about both these songs is they're, they're up. You would say to people, the vibe is, is it's positive. They're, they're cheerful songs. And they convey exactly the attitude of this passage. This is a wonderful thing that... The light that God gives to our world, it guides us, it directs us, it brings order, it sheds beauty upon all of life. Think of a rainbow. It's impossible without light. Or the way that light gets refracted through, through water. These are wonderful things. And it's a good illustration about how our days are full of God's gifts. The songs we've been singing suggest this, of how these good gifts of God make life more satisfying. Make it more Delightful. And so he says in verse 8, if you live many years, enjoy these gifts. And you should. Why? Well, now comes the minor key from the pipe organ, because the days of darkness are coming. <laughs> right? So it's kind of got a little dark there, a little bit ugly. But that's the point. And he says, and those days are many as well. God may give you many, many days and fill them with good gifts. But these days are coming as well when that light will not always be there. That life will not always be so pleasant and so sweet. He's going to illustrate that in a poem in chapter 12. And so he says, and this is like typical of the book, all that comes to you, whether it's light or darkness, all is vanity. And here that word, we could take it in the most graphic meaning. It's, it's a fleeting breath. It's a mist. You can try to reach out and grab it, but you can't grab your breath. It's like that, whether light or darkness. So here's the main point, or really this whole section of Scripture, enjoy Life in your youth, in your youth, truly, deeply enjoy it. What's interesting is that this is a command. Let your heart cheer you in your youth. It's a command. And we have lots of them, lots of imperative verbs, we would say, for you grammarians. In verse 9, rejoice and walk. Verse 10, remove and put away. Then chapter 12, verse 1, remember. Command, 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 command. And so here's the command, enjoy your life. And the, and the force of that is meant to convey this. It's a sin not to enjoy these gifts of God, or not to enjoy them ever, or to only enjoy them sometimes. And the point is not making that it's a sin if you feel unhappy. It's not a sin to feel unhappy. It's not a sin to deal with depression. That is not his point. But he is saying it's inexcusable if you can never find any joy in the good gifts that God grants to you in this life, whether they're great or small. And so he says in verse 9, walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. It's okay to enjoy the world, the things that you see, that you take in, and truly rejoice in your heart and to be thankful. I think it's wrong if you look towards the sunset and you see 
uh, a pattern, a V of Canada, uh, Canada geese going by, these, these dark hues of orange and yellow, and just act as if it didn't, wasn't there, as opposed to stopping and saying, God, I see. That's beautiful. That's the way we should see our world. That's why he says in verse 10, get rid of that bad attitude in your heart. That's what he means. Remove the vexation from your heart. Not to be thankful for even the small things in life that can only lead us to feeling ingratitude for the big things in life. Now, there's an urgency to this. Look at verse 8. Those days of darkness are approaching. Verse 10, youth and the dawn of life are fleeting. That's why he says, let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Get in there and enjoy God's world. In only the way that a young person can. It's, it's carpe diem, if that makes any sense to you. There was a missionary from England that went to Uganda in the early 20th century. and he was Florence Alshorn. Uh, she faced a lot of difficulties there. Came home because she was discovered to have tuberculosis. Helped with the women's college. But eventually she set up uh, this community called St. Julian's. It was for missionaries who were burnt out and, and tired and exhausted and unhappy. And she had this saying to them. She said, you need to get out there and enjoy the world like a pagan. <laughs> That's not the most surprising thing you would, you know, probably the thing you would be surprised to hear come from a missionary. And she wasn't saying go out there and sin or be reckless or do wrong things. She was saying God made this beautiful playground for his children. But why is it that sometimes it's the unbeliever that seems to enjoy this life, enjoy the things of this world more than a Christian? And she's saying, get out there and enjoy this world. And he's saying to the young, appreciate what you have while you have it. There was a saying that says, youth is wasted on the young. Nobody says that anymore, (laughs) except for me today. (laughs) And what it's saying is that young people sometimes don't know what they have. And these things are wasted on them. Those of us who are older understand what it's like to be able to run fast, for instance, (laughs) or to jump Things like that. And what he's saying is consider that there's a future decline of your body coming, those days of darkness. That's probably what he's referring to. In order to appreciate what you have now, Psalm 90 talks about this, which I read earlier. It's saying to God, teach us a number of days that we would get a heart of wisdom, that we'd not be foolish in our young days, but to be wise about what we have and that's why in 12.1, I know we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Notice what he says there. He says, remember also your creator. Now notice what he doesn't say. That sometimes this is important scripture. He doesn't say, remember also your God. Or he doesn't say, remember also Yahweh or the Lord. He says, your creator. Why? What is he trying to say? And he's trying to say is that don't forget that this world is not a random accident. It was made. It was made. It was, it was created. And the creation including yourself, including your body. It's, this is a gift of God. And when God makes something, what does he always say? He said, it's good. When he made us, he said, it's very good. These are good things. And despite the sin of this world, despite the fact that it's under the weight of sin, it's still beautiful. It's still freshly amazing. There's still secrets that are undiscovered that fill us with awe. So enjoy your life when you're young. That's the main point. But there are two things, two qualifiers, what you need to know and what you need to remember. 
What you need to know is in verse 9, what you need to remember is in 12, 1 through 8. What do you need to know, he says, verse 9, that life is judged. In other words, he's saying you can't pursue the pleasure of life as an end in itself. You can't pursue life and the pleasures of life as your God and pursue these things as if there's no accountability uh, whatsoever. And this kind of illumines, doesn't it, the culture that we live in? It's a youth culture. It's a culture that glorifies youth, that that exalts the the prestige of the young athlete, that, that adores Uh, the glamour of the young model, that everything in this culture has to bow before the idol of the youthful body. Everything has to be sacrificed to it. Everything must be devoted to it. It's as if your body is the best thing you have or that your body is the only thing you have. And there's lots of people that believe that. How superficial. How superficial we think of Scripture in 1 Timothy 4, where, where Paul says, well, bodily training is of some value. It's of some value. But godliness holds promise for the present life and the life to come. As our Lord says in Matthew 10, do not fear those who can kill the body, but fear him who can kill body and soul. 1 Peter 3 tells us that hidden person of the heart, that's where you find that imperishable beauty of that gentle and quiet spirit. That's what's precious to God not our body. And so he says, as you walk in the ways of your heart, verse 9, and as you behold the sight of your eyes, do not forget that God is judge. These things all come underneath his scrutiny. You can go too far with this living life when you're a young thing. You can go too far with this. It is sinful not to enjoy life as a gift from God. That's true, but it's also sinful to enjoy life as if life were your God. We are to enjoy pleasures, but not guilty pleasures. That's the point he's making. There was an artist called Prince, and he said, we're going to party like it's 1999. Now, it's, that's too old to say that. It reminds us of the prodigal son, doesn't it? Is a prodigal son a model for how to live? No. He's a model for living it up. In exactly the ways that are being warned against here, that, that youth is many times in Scripture associated with with recklessness. In Psalm 25, when David is pleading to the Lord for his mercy, he says, remember not the sins of my youth and my transgressions. And the word there for transgressions means rebellion. And oftentimes we associate that with youth. And he's saying this as an older man, he looks back and he regrets those things and asking God not to hold those things against me. So the point he's making here is don't lose perspective. Don't be distracted from that larger picture that you're living your life, not just under the sun, but above that, under the oversight of God, that life comes as a gift, but it comes also with responsibility. And Ecclesiastes 3 told us there's a time for everything, including judgment. There's a time to laugh, but a time to cry. So where is your life going? That's the question. Is it a, is it a life of self-indulgence, or is it a life of self-control? Is it a life that is reckless or a life that is selfless? Thomas Manton said, Some come too late to their acquaintance with God, but never any too early. It's never too early to begin to think carefully in the terms that are placed before us here. 
And for a young person to remember, as you pursue the pleasures of life, know that God is watching. There's accountability for that. But it's not just placed in the negative. Scripture also speaks positively to young people, as we read earlier from 1 Timothy 4. Let no one despise you for your youth. Don't let people look down upon you simply because you're young. You have an opportunity to set an example in speech, in conduct, in faith, in purity, in love. And the young people of our church many times do that when you don't realize it. There's nothing more thrilling to an older saint to see a young person on fire for Christ. Being kind and being thoughtful. You have this opportunity to think in these ways, not just negatively, but positively, and to think of the ministry God gives you to this church, no matter how young you are. So we have to know that the life is judged, but we also need to remember that life is short. Now, he's already said this in verse 8. All that comes is vanity. Verse 10, the youth and the dawn of life, these are vanity. You may live many days, but remember what he said in verse 8, the days of darkness will be many as well. So he's saying live and enjoy the light of life. Resist those coming days of darkness. Dylan Thomas puts it perfectly in his poem. You know this one. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. That's what he's saying. Resist it. Live life now. So we want to enjoy this gift of life. Why? Because now he's about to illustrate that getting old is not pretty. It's not easy. And you want to enjoy life, he says, before, he says, the evil days come. He doesn't say, doesn't mean sinful days. He's not talking about that. He's saying when it's bad, when it's hard, when it's really hard. You want to enjoy life before you find yourself saying, I have no pleasure in them. I have no pleasure in these days. And so he pictures it. We have two magnificent poems in this book, and this is the second one. The other one's in chapter 3. Then there's this one. And as I read it, you probably were wondering, what in the world is he talking about? These are all similes. They're pictures. For instance, before the sun, the light, and the stars are darkened, these are pictures of eyesight. <coughs> he already forged that union early in this passage about the light. It helps us to see. That's what he's talking about through these symbols. So here's a good one. The clouds return after the rain. He's saying the sorrows return again even after the tears. Everybody knows you watch a movie, it begins to rain. It's a symbol for what? For sadness. Somebody's crying. Exactly what Ecclesiastes said. He got there before Hollywood. Or look at verse 3. The keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent. The keepers of the house is talking about the loss of strength. He used to have, uh, he's talking about shaking arms that used to be strong. Or he says the strong men are bent. What's the strongest person, strongest part of our body? It's our shoulders and our back. But now he says these are, these are uh, stooping and, and they're bent because of old age. Or he says the grinders cease. Now that's an easy one. Teeth. The teeth are no longer used to chew. Why? He says because they are few. It's losing teeth. Those who look through the windows are dimmed. It's the eyes. Becoming more and more weak. Eyesight is dim. Or he says, verse 4, the doors on the street are shut. It's living life as if the door was shut, not open. What is he talking about? He's talking about the loss of hearing. You don't hear anything. Or when the sound of the grinding is low, again, that loss of appetite. There's no teeth. There's no sound of the stomach. Or when rises up at the sound of a bird, it's, it's somebody who, at the littlest sound, wakes up or just uh, is frightened or perhaps a loss of sleep. And then he says the daughters of song are brought low. That's the loss of the ability to sing. 
They begin to speak. Verse 5, they're afraid also what is high. It's a fear of, of falling down and, and tripping. And terrors are in the way. Stumbling block, something that's going to trip me up. And here's my favorite one, the almond tree blossoms. The white hair is appearing at the top of the tree. The grasshopper drags itself along and desires fell. It's a loss of ability, no longer able to walk and, and to jump sprightly. And then he closes in verse 6 with this combination of how uh, the finitude of all this, the silver cord is snapped and the golden bowl is broken. Things that are valuable, as valuable as life, are irreparably broken. These are things that cannot be mended. Or the fountain pitcher is shattered, the cistern wheel is broken, but once carried and sustained life is broken. And so what does he describe through, through these images that everything is slowing down? It stops working until it is broken. It's like a description of a house that is falling, falling apart and, and decaying. Why, he says in verse 5, because the man is going to his eternal home. Verse 7, dust goes down to earth, the spirit goes up to God. The soul and the body are going to begin a long-distance relationship. They're going to be separated. The body will go to the grave. This is a creature being unmade. This is the creator undoing his creation. What he assembled, now he is disassembling. And we have this graphic picture of it. That life is fleeting as a breath. His days become meaningless. But that really understates it. Look what he says. Vanity of vanities. When was the last time we saw that phrase? Chapter 1, verse 2. That's how the book began. It's bookends. We're returning to the same idea. We've made no progress since the beginning. But life is vanity. And it's true that word of God tells you that you should always respect those who are older, respect your elders, appreciate their wisdom, which comes from experience. But Ecclesiastes is saying you also need to have some sympathy for them of how frustrating it is for them even to get up in the morning. This body that doesn't work the way that it, it once did. And now you begin to understand why the author here says vanity of vanities and why some people are, are so desperately into life hacking. Because this is the most important thing to them. They can't deny what's happening to them. What is the worst enemy of any actor or actress? It's aging. And they live in absolute denial of it. I could give examples, but I'm not going to. And so he's saying to the young, don't take life for granted as you keep in mind what's coming. Life is sweet. It's good. It's a gift for which you will give an account. So live wisely. I kind of touched upon this, but perhaps you've already seen it in chapter two or 12, verses 2 and following. The language we have here is a language of creation. The sun, the light, stars, clouds, and rain. It's speaking about the creation coming apart. God disassembling the creation we get images of this in Scripture, like in Joel 2, where the sun and the moon are darkened, the stars withdraw, they're, they're shining, darkness comes. And we have other images, too, like this. But Ecclesiastes 12 is telling us that the human body is actually a picture of the creation, which will come undone in the end. Romans 8 talks about this, how the whole creation is, is groaning, groaning, it's in pain. 
because it's subjected to futility. We could say to vanity, to use the, the word of Ecclesiastes, that it waits. It waits with longing for what? For its rebirth, for it to be made new, for its, its perfection as, as a new creation, to be born again. And guess what's caught up in that? We are. So Romans 8.23, what does it say? It's not only the creation, but we ourselves grown inwardly, just like Ecclesiastes 12. As we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We're caught up in all this creation, that creation strains under the weight and the misery of sins, life under the sun, life that is vanity. When Adam and Eve fell in sin, they dragged down creation with them. The reverberations went throughout all of the universe. Everything fell with our first parents. Everything became subjected to vanity. And that life is, is vexing universally. This bodily existence, it's more and more frustrating as things wind down. Romans 8 is speaking that. Why we groan, why we ache, why we're in pain. That though this outward body is, is falling apart, we should remember that our creator that in this account, what he makes, he is, un, is unmade. But our, re, our creator is also renewing. That though this outward body is, is falling apart, something totally different is taking place within. We're not just body, we're soul. 2 Corinthians 5 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passing away and the new has come. You see, it's totally different what Scripture says about what's happening within the Christian as opposed to the body. The body is wasting away, but there's renewal that is taking place within by the power of God. But that same power that created the world, that flooded the earth, that parted the sea, that stopped the sun, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the power that has raised us. It's the same power that's at work in us, making us new. Making us new. The Holy Spirit is making us new creatures. It's by the Holy Spirit we've been born again and given new hearts and a a new, new life and new desires. That he is the one at work in us. And just as Romans 8 concludes, that there's nothing in all creation that can separate us from the love of God in Christ. So also, the New Testament assures us that there's nothing in all creation that can separate us from the power of God in Christ by His Spirit and His truth working in us. And that this inner renewal has just begun. It's the first fruits of the consummation and the completion and the perfection of our salvation that it's true on the one hand that we await the redemption of our bodies, but we do not await the redemption of our souls. We are tasting it today. We are getting foretaste of heaven. And we, all of us, whether young or old, who trust in Christ are God's children. And we are growing. We are improving. We're getting better. We're not being disassembled. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Not being unmade, being remade into the image of God in Christ. The old is passing away, the new has come, but the best things are yet to come. 
John says, we are God's children now, but when he appears, we shall be like him and see him as he is. And what he's saying is we are looking for a day, not just for the redemption of our souls, but that of our bodies, when body and soul will be glorified. And these two will come together in a way we've never seen before. Second Corinthians 5 talks about this, that we're groaning in this tent of a body, something flimsy and thin, this tent of a body, because we're looking to that one day when we put on a, a heavenly dwelling, a house, a dwelling made by God, clothed with eternal glory. 1 Corinthians 15 puts it this way, that, that body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. What is sown in dishonor will be raised in glory. What is sown in weakness will be raised with power. What is sown as a natural body will be raised as a spiritual body. The day that we visit heaven, the day when life swallows up death, when you and I will be with Christ forever and ever and enter into an existence where there no longer remains any possibility of improvement. No more complaining. No more pain. No more tears. Because we made perfect. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you again for your word, the way it ministers to us, the way it speaks to us, sometimes so plainly and candidly, so realistically. We understand what this passage is about. But we do not always appreciate the truth that it focuses upon. And we pray, Father, that you would give us eyes of faith and we would gain the perspective of having a heart of wisdom to number our days and to see them truly as gifts, to enjoy them as you've made us to do, that everything that you've created is good. It's for our good. To be received with thanksgiving, consecrated for good purposes in our lives, but to enjoy them because they're gifts from our God, the God that we love and the God that loves us and proved it so in your Son. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.